Right. Happy Thanksgiving, uh, everyone. I hope you've had a good uh, weekend so far. Uh, no matter how many dinners or lunches you might have, it looks a little bit different this year in the gathering. So I hope that it's been good uh, to you. Uh, we're continuing our series called The Letter to the Romans, The Power of the Gospel. And I just want to welcome you to our, our service, uh, this Thanksgiving service, no matter you're joining us here uh, in person uh, or you're joining us uh, online as well. And it really has been quite a week uh, for me as I'm coming and preparing for the Word as I've been diving deep into this, this, this scripture here particularly in terms of how it's been impacting uh, my heart. And I, I know Thanksgiving, uh, we had, I loved the video, I, I loved uh, the contributions and the comments from around the world that we got and those that are in the city right here. And I, I know on Thanksgiving weekend, we're meant to be thankful and grateful, and, and for that, I, were, I, I am. I definitely am thankful and grateful for the ways God has provided and how he's speaking to us uh, as a church. But I have to be honest with you this morning that as I came to church this morning, my heart wasn't exactly in a good place. I was just coming in, as I was praying the word, uh, just putting the final details last night, just wrestling with it, that my heart really wasn't in a good place, that I knew in my mind intellectually that I'm meant to be grateful, I'm meant to be thankful for all the things that God has given me and provided for our family, but my heart was struggling. And I don't know if you can resonate with that. I, know, I don't know if you can relate to that, that your heart and your mind are in two different places. You know what you're supposed to think, what you're supposed to feel even, but your heart doesn't actually experience it. And I come into the Word this morning with that heavy heart, with that attitude of just realizing that you know what, like ministry is tough, life is tough, and we have a lot to be thankful for. And we need to be living in light of that, that we're living in the tension between the two of knowing and receiving what, we, what we're meant to be thankful for, but also being realistic with ourselves. And I'll admit to you as a pastor, we're meant to put up a certain persona of excitement, of, of wrestling with the word, how everything is good all the time. But part of that wrestling is understanding how in order to be thankful, you need to know what we're thankful for and what we're wrestling with and how there are good and bad times in life. And this week, uh, we had a leadership uh, meeting, uh, Wednesday, first Wednesday of the month, and every meeting this year, the, the leadership has been, uh, has been wrestling with the question, God, where are you leading us? What are you doing with us as a church? The pandemic is hitting, it's hit, it's very real. God, are you there? What is going on? Does anything that we do here at church matter? Where are your people? Are they responding? Are they still going? Is anything we're doing here in ministry, anything we're doing in life, what, what really matters? Like, God, are you there? Are you listening? And being wrestling with that. And it was a hard leadership meeting that we had this past Wednesday. But yet we're called to be thankful. Yet we're called to rejoice, and we will rejoice. And we will be thankful because it's not based on what we feel and what we're going through, but yet it's in the feelings and the emotions and what we're wrestling with, we still know that God is good, that God is still there, that God is our firm foundation. And I came to this realization this week in the equation of my mind and my own heart of how I calculate meaningfulness or what I, how I calculate thankfulness and how I can calculate joyfulness. Is God in that equation in my life, or am I wrestling with all these other things? Or am I adding all these other things in my life, like that the worth in my career, the worth in the possessions that I have, or what people think of me? Are those more important in the equation of success and meaning 
and, and joy than God himself because God has weight in our lives, that the word of God has weight, God himself has weight, and he pulls us in his direction, that if God is in our lives, he is the constant in which everything else revolves around instead of how, every, how God revolves around everything else in our lives. And we come and we're tugged and we're pulled by the ways of the world, which I experience way too real. So I start off this morning with a confession that I am human and that I am pulled by the ways of the world as well. And I wrestle too with these feelings of adequacy, of inadequacy, and putting on a mask and thinking and feeling everything is okay all the time instead of really wrestling with the fact that, no, I'm not. And that I have to come before God and no one else and bring that and, and, and reveal that to him. I was reading a, 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 um, an article that this week, uh, and I was talking about Ido Landau. He's a professor of philosophy in the University of Hi-Fi. And he argues in the book uh, he wrote, Finding Meaning in the Imperfect World, that finding meaning in this world is not based on what you're missing, but based on what you actually have. That you're able to find meaning in this world when you realize what you actually do have. So he argues that your sum of your meaningfulness is really just uh, a sum of all the things that you do in life. So if you find meaning in your work, if you find meaning in the ways that you serve or you volunteer, if you find meaning in your family, if you find meaning in your school and your great whatever it is, if you add that all up, it's not anything that's individual, but it's a sum of all of that, that that equates to your meaning. And I have a big problem with that. Because if that's the case for meaning, if that's our understanding of what it means to meaning, then we're always going to be disappointed. Then we're always going to fall short. We're always going to live in a place of life is never going to be enough. God, where are you? And I found for me, coming into Thanksgiving this weekend, is God, where are you in that equation? Have I truly placed you in the center of my worship? Have I placed you truly in the center of everything that I have? Because if God has weight, then everything else, like, like any planet that has gravity, everything should be drawn towards God. God is that constant in which we revolve around, not God revolves around us. If God has weight in my life, then there will be worship. There will be a praising of who this God is. And we see that today, this morning, that's how the Apostle Paul starts off in Romans 12. In this wrestling, in everything that I just mentioned, in, in everything we understand God to be, everything he just mentioned in chapters 1 to 11, he says, therefore, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, and I just want to encourage you with that this morning because it spoke to me that at the end of the day, we can't force ourselves to do anything. We can't force anyone else to do anything. At the end of the day, all we can really do as people of God, as Christians, as men and women, as brothers and sisters, is to urge people, to strongly encourage them. You can't force them to believe. You can't force them to follow. You can't force them to do anything. All we can do and all we're called to do is to urge, to strongly encourage people to follow and to listen to this God because Paul quite plainly lays out in verses one, uh, chapters 1 to 11 pretty clearly our understanding of the faith. But understanding alone doesn't save us. There has to be a strong call of, of uh, urging, a strong understanding, a strong conviction from ourselves that leads us to this worship of who this God is. What, what does Paul encourage us 
towards. He says this, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as, living, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. In view of God's mercy, in view of everything we just talked about again, all the sermons, everything we read in Romans 1 to 11, in view of, of how we as people are deserving of punishment, we're deserving of death, we're deserving of eternal separation from God in view of the sacrifice that God has done for you and for me and the extent that he has gone to save us, go and offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Go and offer your body as a living sacrifice. Sacrifices in ancient Israel was serious. It was a serious business. As an act of worship, offerings were prepared in advance as they brought them to the temple. And these offerings were meant to be unblemished, perfect animals, or fine flour, or fine oil. And some would come from somewhere really close by to the temple, but some would travel really, really far away. And, and everything that was planned, it was planned out in advance that those days of sacrifice, those days of offering, whether it was a festival or otherwise, they, made, they planned around it. That those days were important. They marked that down on the calendar that they weren't going to miss and everything else revolves around that day, that day of sacrifice, that day of offering. And no matter what it is that you had, whether it was oil or, 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 or flour or an animal, you only saved the best. You saved the best. And you brought your best, no matter what that looked like for you. No matter what it is that it cost you, you brought the best that you could to the tabernacle, to the temple, to offer to, to God. I think it comes down to this. What we're willing to sacrifice really shows where our heart is. What we're willing to sacrifice, what we're really willing to give up shows where our heart is. What we're willing to sacrifice shows what we really worship. We're reminded of Genesis 22, verse 12, uh, when, when, when Abraham was about to sacrifice uh, Isaac. You remember that? He was up on the mountain. God hasn't been speaking to him all, before that. All he told him was, you meant to go and to sacrifice your one and only son Isaac up on the, the, up on the mountain. And he goes, and just about, when he's about to take the, the, the knife and to, to, to sacrifice Isaac, God says in verse 12 of chapter 22 in Genesis, do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. For what? Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God. Now I know that you worship God. Now I know that you have reverence for God. Now I know that God has weight in your life. Now I know that God has meaning in your life because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. So Abraham offered up his most precious gift in that moment to show the worth that God has in his life. And in ancient Israel, it was the same kind of understanding that there were five festivals when it was especially busy, but there were also five kinds of different kinds of offering for sacrifice. And no matter the kind of offering or the kind of sacrifice, there was the same element in every single kind of offering. And what is it? Well, they burnt the offering. They burnt a portion of the offering. They burnt it to, 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 to smithereens. They burnt it to where it was nothing left. Why? Have you ever asked that? Why do they do that? Well, that's because whenever there's an offering, 
there's meant to be transformation. And when they burn the offering, that's a physical sign of literal trans, trans, transformation of whatever it is that they're offering. One way to transform something is to destroy it. So by burning it, the offering transforms into smoke and into an offering to God. It transforms into a fragrance that is holy and pleasing to God. So in our understanding of offering our bodies as living sacrifices, we understand this in ancient Israel, in the Old Testament, that an offering needed to be made in order for there to be a, a, a right relationship with God. But now we know in the New Testament, in light of God's mercy, in light of what he has done for us, in light of his sacrifice, because Jesus is that perfect sacrificial lamb, an offering was made first on our behalf for our sins we are set free. Not the other way around where we need to go to the temple and offer in order to have a right relationship with God. God has already sacrificed so that we can have a right relationship with him if we so choose. That the relationship between us and God has already been made if we so choose to walk on that path. The offering has been made on our behalf. I'm not sure if that astounds you. I'm not sure how that impacts your heart. But that impacts mine in a way that before we knew God, before we were born, before we came to know Jesus, an offering was made to show you how much you are worth, to show you how much you are loved. Therefore, Paul is saying in response to God, we need to be a living sacrifice. The right response to what God has done is worship, where our hearts and attitudes are to be like the ancient days where we prepare ourselves every day with the same intentionality as those in ancient Israel going to make a sacrifice at the temple where everything else revolved around that. Understanding of the weight and the gravity of this God that we follow. And guys, I'm standing up here this morning and I say it like this. I, I get it. It's difficult to grasp. And I wrestle with this myself because there are moments where we ask, so what, Right? God, are you doing anything? God, are you real? God, are you speaking? God, have, ha, are you there? And, and Justin and I were talking about this last night, and she brought up a really good point, uh, how we don't truly appreciate, just like how uh, maybe our way of understanding this is our way of understanding our relationship with our parents and with our family, how we don't truly appreciate or understand the sacrifices our parents made for us growing up. How some of our our parents, they left their friends and their family and their profession and they flew overseas here to start a new life. How they worked so hard and all the while trying to learn a new language in a foreign land. How they were trying to adapt to local Canadian culture while trying to raise us, kids, uh, growing up in a different culture, uh, not understanding uh, either one and wrestling and, and trying to grow their family and to educate and to train and to, and to parent their kids. And we never truly appreciate that because we don't really understand what the sacrifice, we don't understand the sacrifice that's been made for us. And I remember the moment where I did get a little bit more of an understanding. I was Cohen's age, grade one. I was six years old and I lived in Hong Kong for a year. And my mom showed me to the places where she'll go uh, hang out with her friends, the places that she'll go and play badminton. This was her office that she used to work at before she immigrated here. This was her favorite uh, park that she went, went out to. These are her favorite restaurants that she used to 
go out to. And I realized at that moment, even at six years old, where I, even though I didn't fully grasp how, how, how important it was, but I grasped something at that moment that this is what my mom has given up. And I saw it and I experienced it. It wasn't no longer an intellectual thing in my mind, but it was something I experienced myself and it was there. And then I understood the sacrifice that has been made. That she gave that all up to start a family so that her kids can have a better life overseas. It's only when we look back and appreciate and understand what's been done are we able to appreciate what's been done for us now and the life that we have. And how precious it is in the moments that we have every single day. And being a Christian is hard and might be even harder right now for you and for me during this pandemic when we don't have our usual rhythms, when we don't get to see our friends and hang out at the park or go to the restaurant or just, just sit and watch a movie. Man, I, watch, I miss watching movies at the theater. We don't get to see each other and go to church in the same way possible. We're, we're scattered across the city in different ways. And some of you might be asking, what's the point of this? What's the point of any of this? Why bother attending service? Why bother going to life? Or why bother attending fellowship? Why read the Bible or pray at all? Does my life even matter? Does God even hear me? at this time, and the answer this morning in light of this first verse that we're reading is yes. Yes. And perhaps seeing all the pain you're going through right now with the perspective of God's mercy will help us. Because in light of the pain and the suffering that you're going through, that I am going through, that we're all going through, if we see life through God's mercy, God draws us to him. Where the things of the world will slowly fade, we realize that God is what matters and God has weight and God gives us our worth. Because when we see life through God's mercy and rightly so through what God has done for us, because when we do that, we'll come to understand what it's like and maybe perhaps we'll remember what God has sacrificed and what it's like to be without God our lives without him, how wretched we were, the devastation and the states of our soul and the direction that we we're heading that if we view life through God's mercy, perhaps we'll be reminded of the true state of our humanity, the true state of our being. And thankfulness, as I've come to learn this week through my own wrestling, thankfulness only comes when we know what we have been given. And thankfulness comes from what life would have been like if we haven't been given it. If we haven't been given, in this context, the mercy of God and how he has saved us and how he has rescued us from our own desires. And we come to realize even if we don't deserve it, even as sinful and broken as I am, we can have a relationship with Jesus by receiving his salvation, and that changes everything. And if we truly understand and we see our lives through God's mercy, through his sacrifice for us, we will respond as living sacrifices in, in the everyday, in our everyday living. And what we give up and how we understand God and the actions that we have in our thoughts if, is everything filtered through the lens of God's mercy, of what, he has been done, what has been done for us, or has it been filtered through what we think and what we feel or what I want? Because if we see it through his mercy, through his sacrifice, we will worship. And we can't grasp the weight of what has been done until we truly understand, again, the sacrifice. 
And as we offer ourselves as living sacrifices, as holy and pleasing to God, this leads to this true and proper worship. Their understanding of ancient Israel and their way of offering themselves, offering their, 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 their offerings, it's the same way as how we're meant to offer ourselves to God every single day. And that, is, that leads to transformation. That leads to a way of understanding God. And we see this as Paul continues on in, in 2a. We know we're supposed to view life in view of God's mercy, and that's why he warns us to do not conform to the patterns of this world because the patterns of the world are strong. And the forces are real where it draws you to not follow God and to follow the ways of the world. Paul is saying, do not chase after the things that ultimately don't have weight in your life. Just again gave me this great illustration is that we keep feeling like we're filling our lives with meaningful things. But these meaningful things are really like ping pong balls that we throw onto water. All they do is float. There's no weight to it. But God is weighty and significant, that we keep trying to fill our lives, our bucket of our lives with these ping pong balls, and they're just floating away, and they're, they're weightless, and they're meaningless. But all we really need is God, who is weighty and full and fulfilling. He says, don't, do not conform to the patterns of this world. Don't chase after the things of this world that don't have weight. What are the patterns of this world? Maybe it's materialism. You chase after the goods of this world, and you're thinking the more we have, the better it is. Maybe it's comfort. Life is meant to be enjoyed, so anytime there's pain and suffering, we're going to run away from that. Maybe it's wealth and it's health. Maybe it's status and it's fame. I don't know what it is for you, but I know for me, it's letting go of circumstances that ultimately control how I'm feeling. Letting go of what I think, what, what people think of me, instead replacing them with, with what God thinks of me. And God isn't telling us to be robots where we're supposed to be emotionless and we're not supposed to feel anything, but God is telling us to view the good and the bad times of life through the lens of his mercy again. Don't, don't be like the waves that's being blown here, here or there. Follow God. He is the anchor of our lives. And I find this fascinating here that he says, do not conform. So that's an action that we're meant to do ourselves. That's something we're meant to own that's something we're meant to be responsible for. But he says this, but be transformed. That transformation is not something that you do yourselves, but it's something that's done to you. So you hold back. You do not be conformed. You say no to the things of the world. That is our responsibility. With God as our help, that is our responsibility of saying no to the things of the world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed. That what Paul is saying is that in the same way you can't really, in the same way as how you can't really make yourself taller, you know, some people I've talked to have tried, maybe if I hang there long enough, I'll be tall enough. You, it's just like in the same way you can't make yourself taller, you can't transform yourself either. That it's something that's done to you. Transformation isn't something that you summon up, it isn't something you do to yourselves, but it's something that's done to you and for you. You don't cause the action, you don't do the transforming. And we get our English word, uh, metamorphosis, from this word, Greek word, transformation. Like the process that a larvae goes through and hatches and becomes a beautiful butterfly, that's just something that happens. That's part of a natural process in the life of that butterfly. In the same way for us, if we view God in light of his mercy, 
if we offer ourselves as living sacrifices. Transformation will, have, will, will offer that the bad and the ugly parts of us and all of us, that's the goal, will be consumed and be burnt up and to be holy in the pleasing offering to God, a fragrance to him that through this transformation that it's done to us, that when we come to worship, not just here on Sundays, but in the everyday, when you're at work, when you're at school with your family and your friends, as you're offering yourself as a fragrant offering there, God is transforming you, that you're being burnt up and you're being burnt up into this fragrant and pleasing offering to him. And the question and the challenge is perhaps for you and it is for me is, how do we know that we're being transformed? How do we know? How do we know we're being transformed? How do we know we're being a fragrant offering to God? And just like an offering in ancient Israel, again, the offering is burnt and it's transformed. And for us in the everyday when we worship, we need to ask, are we being transformed? Is everything about us being consumed? Is there that part of us that's being offered up, being consumed, that's being transformed, being changed into something else that wasn't there before. Because we know when we worship, when we worship, we think that nothing happens, that, well, there's no difference at all whether I worship or not. That's not true because we know worship, when, when it happens, that the offering is burnt, that it is transformed. We know that we have worshiped when we have been transformed. Does that make sense? That we know we have worshiped when we have been transformed, and when we have been transformed, we know that we have worshipped. And maybe it's a, a certain thought that you've had, that you, and, and you know that when you've left after encountering God, that that has been consumed, that that has been taken up, that's been transformed, that, that, that the perspective that you had before has been shifted just that little bit. Maybe it's an attitude that you had about a certain situation and, and that's been transformed. Maybe it's a way of life that you've been wrestling with and after your worship and offering yourself as a living sacrifice, there's a transformation there, that there's a, a shifting. And get this, it's not from the perspective of ourselves, of whether we think it's being transformed or not. This was revel uh, a revelation for me this, this week. It's not from our perspective because it's not up to us whether we're transformed or not. It's not up to what we think or what we feel. It's, it's, it's up to the one we're offering it to. The question we need to be asking in us wrestling with whether we've been transformed or not is are my thoughts and my words and my action and my heart, is it not a free... It's not whether it's a fragrant offering to myself or a fragrant offering to the church or a fragrant offering to the people around me. It's whether it's a fragrant offering to God. That is the question that we need to be asking. Are our thoughts and words and action and heart a fragrant offering to God? What does he think about it? That's why he says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his pleasing, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Of course you'll be able to attest his will when you understand him. When everything you do is for him. When you're thinking, God, does this please you? Is what I'm doing with my life an offering and fragrant offering to you? When we align ourselves to that way and we're in the mind of God, we come to understand his will of course we'll be able to test and approve what his will is because everything we're doing is about that. Everything we're doing is 
for that. And I've had to wrestle with this, like I was saying this week, where I was devastated by the truth of this message, the truth of just these two verses here in Romans. Where everything I'm saying to you now, right now, I've had to wrestle with this year. And for those of you that know me, I, I like to stay busy. I'm a busy body. I like to do a lot of things. And in the church, I'm usually busy with ministry. And I loved it. I loved being busy. I loved the long hours. I loved the late nights. But as I was wrestling with this passage, and throughout the course of this year, what what God has been working and transforming in my heart, he helped me to realize that I was away from my family a lot. This year changed everything with the time that I had, and I had to encounter the gospel in fresh ways. And God reminded me that when you were in grade one, when you were six years old, when you were Cohen's age, that was when your parents divorced. And if you're going to walk down this path, are you going to repeat the same history? Rejecting your family and leaving them behind. And my younger daughter, Ryan, is the same age as my younger brother then. So you have a choice. Which one is it going to be? And I came to this wrestling of even though I thought my offering was fragrant to the world and fragrant to people around me, even though I thought the fragrance was good and pleasing to myself, I had to come and wrestle with the question, was it fragrant and pleasing to God? And I had to come up with the answer that devastated my heart. That I can't, and I had to wrestle with that because how can I truly say I'm following God when I neglect my family? How can that be a good and pleasing fragrance to God? Ministry is good, but don't get me wrong. None of it matters if our heart is not in the right place. And I need to ask myself, what are the motives behind what I'm doing? Is it really for God's glory or is it for my own? Is it really for the sake of the church or is it for my own? Is it a good, pleasing, and perfect, fragrant offering to God or is it just for me? And I needed to wrestle with this because, guys, it's way too easy. It might look good. It might look fragrant and pleasing. It might look holy on the outside. But Jesus has a word for that when we're on the inside. When it isn't like that, they called the, he called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. And that's something that we don't want to be. And guys, I worry that many of us are walking down that path as well. And I don't want that for our church. I don't want that for you. I don't want that for any of us. That we can look good on the outside, but inside we haven't really been transformed because we really haven't been offering up ourselves. And I worry that many of us are calling ourselves Christians, but I worry for the sake of our souls that one day when we see Jesus, that he's going to say, I never knew you. And that should devastate us. And that is the call here in the first two verses here. A reminder, again, in light of God's mercy, in light of everything that we've seen, are we living in view of God's mercy? Can we really say we've been following this Jesus? Where is our heart? Where are our motives? And whether you're viewing life through God's mercy and what he has done for you, we know ultimately by what you're willing to sacrifice and how you're living as 
a sacrifice. So I end this morning with a few questions. What does it mean for you to be a fragrant offering? Whether it's for you at work, when you're going to work, when you're doing your everyday job, what does it mean for you to be a fragrant offering that's holy and pleasing, not to the people around you, not to yourself, but to God in that moment? What does it mean for you to be a student in your studies, to be a fragrant offering, to be a living sacrifice there? How does it mean for you to be a parent in the way that you offer yourselves and to be a living sacrifice and fragrant offering in your parenting? Or as a husband, as a wife, as a friend, as a boyfriend, as a girlfriend, as a son and a daughter, what does it mean for you to be a fragrant offering to God in all those aspects of your lives? Because I don't know what that is for you, but I, what I do know is that when you offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, there will be transformation. And that is my prayer for you. Not so that our church can get bigger, not so that there can be more people that comes, it's so that your soul can be saved and that you can have a relationship with Jesus. That's what this is all about.